What are you? What are you talking about? There's a trick. There has to be. Right. How could you possibly know that the guard wasn't going to turn around? How could you know that the guy was going to drop his gun? You have a secret. Do I? Welcome to Strange Highways. Uh, I'm Tim Thomerson. Nope. I'm I'm Bob Steep. Nope. I'm Bob Johnson. No, I'm Paul Stebman. And somewhere out there hiding now from from me in a you know in a corner of the museum is is who who's out there? I am Terry? Question mark. <laughs> I was just trying different names to see if, you know, which with one with an eye. With you Terry with an eye. <laughs> I was just trying to see which name would work for this show. Um, you know, I, I can go, we can, we could do it over again. It's fine. Like I, you know, anyway, this will pay off later guys. I promise it was a terrible joke, but it will pay off a little bit later. Uh, yeah, this is strange highways. I'm Paul and not those other guys. And that's Terry with an eye. That's going to stay forever now. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be like, it'd be like T I R R Y. It would make no sense. Um, yeah. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about a small town. Uh, that was a, a, a fun episode. And now we're getting into this one, which is uh, season two, episode nine. Try, try, uh, directed by Jim McGowan, um, who directed one episode of the purge TV series and a movie called rust Creek. Um, I, I watched the trailer for this. So it actually looks really good. Uh, I'll read you the description. It is an overachieving college student gets lost on her way to a job interview. A wrong turn leaves her stranded deep in the Kentucky forest. Um, it was actually uh, released by magnet. Um, so it was like, well, IFC midnight, one of those releases. Uh, so the trailer looks solid. Uh, it looks like the typical, like, you know, wrong place, wrong time, uh, you know, backwoods um, weirdness. So, uh, based upon this, like I, I feel like uh, Jim McGowan has a uh, has has a little bit of um, a pedigree for uh, getting uh, a little weird with um, with their stuff. So there's a little bit of horror there. I I, I like the magnet stuff. Um, uh, they did uh, they released a movie called Splinter. That oh was yeah, a yeah. ass blind watch. Like years ago, I was like, this is gold, man. Um, I, I'm I'm really excited about um, seeing what else. Uh, Jen gets into because she was also part of um, the movie Boys Don't Cry, 
Um, oh, okay. Uh, she was uh, it was it, she was part of the miscellaneous crew, as it is noted in IMDb here. Uh, a production assistant, additional photography, and uh, yeah, so like that's a great movie, um, very topical, uh, based on a true story. Uh, if you guys like true crime at all, uh, watch that movie. It's, uh, very important to watch. Um, there's a lot of, uh, important messages to take away from that movie. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what Jen does later on. Um, this was, this was obviously, a, well, I don't want to say obviously, but, um, this was an exciting, uh, entry into the twilight zone. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, you mentioned Splinter. I, I forgot about that movie. That's actually a pretty solid flick. She's not associated with it, but yeah, uh, you know, Magnet does put out. It's like every so often it's like, yeah, you know, okay, great. But they, they, you know, like that and the IFC Midnight stuff, they were kind of like, they were putting out things worth considering before like A24 came along and pushed their glasses up their nose. You know, like they, they've had, had they've had some good releases. Yeah, and they could be the next Blumhouse, but they, you know, selection can be really uh, tedious sometimes. Yeah, um, there is a lot of backing that needs to happen for really good storylines out there, and uh, I think that uh, Magna has the time to to invest into it because I haven't seen anything from them for a minute. Um, so I think that they could be the next Blumhouse. Yeah, maybe, hopefully so. Uh, all right, so uh, this is written by Alex Rubens who we just uh, talked about for a, a hot second in um, the episode um, A Human Face, which I wrote my notes here, uh, written by Alex Rubens. Just saw him with a human face, which that's not really what that meant, but that's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we kind of we went over that, um, his catalog, quite a bit. Uh, good, good writer. I think he, he deserves to be t- uh, part of the Twilight Zone universe. Um Go back to our uh, a human face episode and kind of explore that. And then again, there was uh, two other episodes in the first season mm-hmm. that uh, you guys had conversations about as well. Yeah, this, this he might actually be the one that has the most tenure right now in terms of writing for the series so far. And based upon this one, uh, give him two more and then see how he does there and give him two more. Right. Because this is uh, uh, I, I know Terry and I are kind of tipping our, our hand a little bit about this episode. But, um, you know, like I. I I had some feelings about this thing and then it ended and then I had different feelings about it. So that's a really smart way of saying that I think he was leading us, um, in a way on purpose. And then, you know, he, it was a very uh, purposeful direction, which is what you want from a writer, right? As opposed to, I don't know, museum masks, that kid from the 70s show. We'll see what happens, you know? So, but we'll talk more about the story in a second. Terry, uh, I only put down two people for this episode. So if you did any other searching on anybody else that was in this, please enlighten me. All right, will do. So first of all, we have Topher Grace here. And the only reason that I put him first is because IMDb put him first as well. So throughout these episodes of this season of The Twilight Zone, we have typically been following the IMDb. So here we go. Um, Topher Grace plays Mark Wheeler. Um, you may know him from an episode of Black Mirror. He was in an episode of Love, Death, and Robots. He was in the movie, uh, the uh, the Rodriguez uh, installment of Predator, Predators, yeah, Predators. Um, which I will mention this later. Um, <laughs> why, why would you mention that specific role in that movie compared to this episode? 
anyways, uh, mum's a word on that one. So, um, Spider-Man three, sadly. Um, and then of course what you, the aforementioned 179 episodes of that 70s show. So wait, wait, I gotta, I gotta fight you here for a second about, like you said, sadly Spider-Man three. So what is the sadly part of that statement? He, he was not well uh, written into that role. Like that role was forced by uh, Sony from what I had read. Oh yeah. Um, he should not, he, his Brock should not have been in that film in, in any sense to that. Um, what was initially stated from what uh, uh, Sam Raimi was trying to do. Okay. But Sam Raimi yep. was trying to do, one more installment and then we'll get to venom and as sony's like no the people need venom now he's like okay you're you're forcing my hand here i'll i'll see what i can do you can see throughout that film that eddie brock was forced into that film venom was forced into that film okay that you're not you're not wrong all that's correct i'm saying his i i didn't mind his take or their take on eddie brock however forced as it may be because he really was the, 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 the dark mirror version of Peter Parker, you know, like, and not cause Eddie Brock is normally like a dude that's like a foot taller and just like built like a brick shit house versus like Peter Parker. So when you get to Venom, obviously he's a much bigger dude. Um, but I liked, I, I don't know. I liked that He was kind of like that same reporter that was like, you know, just wanting, wanting fame and like cutting corners. And like, I just, I didn't mind that. And then whenever he finally got to be Venom, there was a line a bit where he says something about his spider sense tingling. And he just says that glint in his eye. It's, it's, it's a, it's a disgusting line on purpose, but Topher sells it really well. No. And, and this is not a uh, discredit to him as an actor. And I feel that he was, he was, he was downplayed for the atmosphere mm-hmm. because I think that, Everybody expected the football player size mofo that was going to be playing Eddie Brock. And then you got somebody who actually was a really good um, actor. He could play the role of um, the the absurd. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, what's what I'm looking for here? Well, I mean, he the was... adversary, the adversary yeah. of of Peter Parker. Yeah, I, you're right. I just Spider-Man Three is not a great movie. I'm not. I'm not trying to even defend that. Like, I just, I think that for being something that was wedged in and being a move by Sony, um, you know, anybody could have taken that role, I guess. But he did, um, and I don't think he, um, I don't think he handled it the worst. I don't think the movie handled it well. So I agree with you on that. So I just didn't know where you're going to fall with Topher Grace in that film. Um, so other things that he was in, I just want to mention, uh, Interstellar for like a half second. Um, he was David Duke in the Spike Lee film from like two years ago, Black Klansman. Um, really good in that movie. You just wanted to punch him in the face. Like really good. Um, and also, um, I don't know if you know that, that he's actually kind of like his, he is a, a fan editor. Like he'll go through and edit films to try, cause he wants to practice editing and get better at it. So the story goes, um, a few years ago, he actually challenged himself to try to make an edit of the prequel trilogy of Star Wars into like a two and a half hour movie that kept like the soul of what they're trying to go for, but cut like all the fat out and all the dumb out. And he did this 
and he had a private screening and people were like actually like impressed at what he was able to do, but you'll never see it because he doesn't own the rights to star Wars, but he had a private viewing and people were raving about his fan edit of the prequels until like a two and a half hour movie. See, I love that kind of stuff because I think that there are a lot of people out there with an opinion and obviously, um, you know, Lucas and, and Disney don't want that stuff to make money. Um, but I can see merit in it. I, I mean, there's plenty of movies that transition over to their sequels or uh, their other installments where it's like, no, we can forget about this stuff. I mean, that's kind of what, um, you know, the new Halloween did. We're like, Halloween 2? No, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Halloween, everything else didn't happen. I take it back. The film, the, the cut he put together was 85 minutes out of the, the prequel. So that's a lot of fat cut. He also, while he was working on Black Klansman, he would sit in his like his garage uh, and tinker with um, editing the, the most recent Hobbit trilogy down to see if he could make it make more sense for him in terms of like visual storytelling. And he mentioned that he did that because when he was like playing David Duke, he read like the books Duke wrote and he really got into the character. And he was like, he's like, I didn't really like me at that time. And I didn't want to be around my wife. So I just kind of would go to the garage and like edit. <laughs> like, <laughs> so good on him that he acknowledged that, like to get ready for that role, he had to kind of occupy the headspace of an absolute, you know, asshole. It didn't want to bring his work home with him, so to speak. So he just sat in a garage and just edited the, the Lord of the Rings films. I really appreciate you telling me all this because I love method actors and people that like really get into a persona or an idea of a character and they need to be absolute about it. Like I love Jim Carrey. Uh, I think Jim Carrey is probably one of my favorite actors of all time because he is so method and he is so versatile in his abilities. Uh, I think that when I I heard about what he was doing for uh, Man on the Moon, it made me adore him that much more because he did lose himself in that role. And like what you're telling me right now makes me appreciate Topher Grace that much more. Yeah, I just I I like him. I really do. And we're like and uh, you know the this episode is is it's a, it's it's two halves in terms of the performances. And I'm not saying one's worse than the other. It's but both have to be strong to make this thing work. And he is amazing in this. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I feel like he has a certain weight of, of delivering lines and a certain type of presence that really, really works for him. I don't know if it would work for every movie and situation, but goddamn, he needs to be in more things. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love that. I seen him in the, the one episode of love, death and robots. That was a treat because I totally did not expect to see him in that. Yeah. Um, and I have been more recently revisiting um, that 70s show because I need something to just kind of preoccupy, uh, preoccupy my mind with just funny shit. And that's perfect because I've seen it before and I kind of fall asleep to it now. And I love him as Eric. Like, I think he's a good main character and he has good line delivery. So I, I really do like Topher Grace. Um, I apologize to anybody who is kind of like in the descending view on that, but I, Hey, it's happening. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this too. Here's the hot take you guys can fight me at this. That's fine. Um, you know, strange highways, uh, podcast at gmail.com as he's getting <laughs> a little older now with some of the way he carried himself in this episode, 
there was some like like Jeff Goldblum ticks to him, like like a Jeff Goldblum esque like like body posturing and the way he would kind of just state some of it. Like there's a certain diction that Topher Grace has that like you know that Goldblum has, and it's like uh, you know it's like put him in. You know, like maybe Goldblum's not available. I, I, I bet you can get Topher Grace. You know, let's see what happens. That is a that is a good um, mirroring of uh, the 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 posturing and that and his acting prowess. Uh, uh, we'll get into that a little bit more, I think, in our conversation about this episode. I, I think I'm going to revisit that. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, who, who's the other people we have here or person? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, Kylie uh, Bunbury, um, she plays Claudia King. Uh, I have her down for 13 episodes of Under the Dome, which we have talked about in previous episode, um, and in 10 episodes of Pitch. Now, this one sounds interesting to me because she plays uh, the first female player in the, uh, the Major League Baseball. Um, I think I want to get into that because that sounds like uh, something that is very relevant and needs to be talked about right now because I don't think that um, it should be in a male dominated sport. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, a t- it didn't get past 10 episodes on Fox. I remember when it was premi- it premiered, she, yeah, the first female player, I think she's with the Padres or something. Um, and yeah, she's the main character and it was an interesting premise because of all the position players you could probably have in baseball that um, you could argue about like, you know, size and physicality, you know, pitching a lot of its mechanics. There is strength, but it's mechanics. So why not? Yeah. I, I think that, that, um, that gives a lot of, uh, acting prowess to her, um, because, you know, like this is one of her like few credits that I had known about. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to see more of her as the main actress to own a role, like to, uh, ascend, her uh physicality the female uh demographic like she needs like this episode will dive into that i believe like i want more of that character like i want her to own something more like ascend the idea yeah like i really really enjoyed her character and what i've dived into obviously from her imdb yeah. And then she's also in that, um, uh, Peacock's the new, uh, NBC universal streaming service. There's a show called brave new world. She's part of that. That's been getting some decent write-ups. Uh, it, it just as much as this is an episode of like two performances that have to, it's like a teeter totter, how it kind of goes back and forth. She brings it just as much as toe for grace. And, um, not that, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do considering that he is the more, you know, seasoned and, and tenured, tenured actor, you know? So, um, yeah, like I not not much here for her, but uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I don't have any Christmas stuff here. I'm just going to probably say that there's a few episodes of uh, that 70s show that took place around Christmas because it was also, you know, Wisconsin. You know, honestly, dude, I tried my damnedest to find <laughs> something Christmas in every one of like some of these actors were in this and that was it. Like they were guy in museum girl in museum guard <laughs> like that was it um i do have two other credits here okay um just because they they had a little bit more established into uh, the world that uh, we've kind of immersed ourselves with these actors lately um kellyanne woods um she plays kid's mom um in the one the one scene we see uh, a mom reprimanding their ch- her children for throwing around a water bottle 
Um, she was in one other episode of this the this iteration of Twilight Zone, the Blue Scorpion. And then she was in an episode of Supergirl and iZombie. Hmm. Okay, good. A good, good call that you found another Twilight Zone connection. I just, after watching this a second time, I was like, there, you know, like there's nobody else of significant note that has any like impact on the episode. So I kind of just drifted away from it. I know. And I, 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 I kind of align myself with you typically. And uh, you do bring up like these oddball. Um, I don't, I, that sounds kind of shitty, but uh, these off key to the episode character lines. Um, so like the next one here is uh, Leo Chang. Uh, he plays sneezing guy. <laughs> uh, he is in five episodes of the newer iteration of um, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he was in an episode of Arrow, Flash, and Batwoman. So he's he does a lot of current work right now, but he's just kind of like the big guy in a lot of the scenes that he's in, in shows and movies and stuff like that. But I'm like, this guy has a lot of credits amongst all these other guys who have one credit. Yeah episode <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you're labeling a lot of um cw and like battlestar i know was shot in vancouver as well um i, I believe so and it's like and i'm gonna guess that this museum is probably in vancouver i'm just throwing that out there just i you know call me crazy i think it is all right well maybe you have notes on that i couldn't find anything oh i don't have notes yeah, on that, it but just all the like all the first nation masks that you see like all the different indigenous like tribal masks um, I'm, I'm going to guess that this is, um, this was in Vancouver. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it for, uh, my part of cast. And obviously, as you said, uh, yeah. you only had the two, so that's it. I'm um, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. So, all right. Yeah. Let's uh, let, uh, Mr. Uh, Peel take it away. You might say that Claudia King has found herself on a kind of blind date. One set up, not by friend, family, or coworker. This is a match neither made in heaven nor the internet, but in the far darker web of the Twilight Zone. The darker web of Vancouver. No. Um, yeah. Uh, so this one, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a, a sound, not that we don't normally use on this show. I'm going to throw this out here right now. I know everybody, we listen to this. We always say like, watch the episode first. Uh, I know some people don't always do that. There's a lot of things I listen to in terms of other podcasts that I don't always engage with the media that is being discussed. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a button out here. This is going to make Terry very happy. Do you know why they are called spoilers? That's our Alex Trebek. Also a uh, Canadian, just people. If you've not watched a lot of the season, stop listening right now and watch this episode. Cause going in blind, just it, it's better that way with this one. Cause I think all the facets of it, it, it pays off. It pays off really well. Yeah, definitely, because this one, uh, I, I I don't think that we could get into any part of this discussion without really spoiling what the viewer is going to have and appreciate from it. Um, like, on first viewing, I dug it. Second viewing, I think that typically what we do is we find all of the little facets that, you know, Jordan Peele and the Twilight Zone crew are like, yeah, let's just kind of sprinkle this in there because you can have that surface level viewing of it. But when you have that second viewing of it, it is gold, honestly. 
Yeah, and this one, this again, I know I say this a lot during the season in the Twilight Zone in general. Um, knowing where it was going the second time through, it a lot of it felt better. That was first. The first was annoying me the first time through. So I, that sounds a little weird, and we'll talk about that. But I think, yeah, spoilers, everybody, heavy, heavy spoilers. If you've not watched this one, watch it. Come back. We'll be here, still talking. Um, yeah. In terms of like plot, this is also a hard one to get into too because I mean it comes down to a lot of conversation in a museum. But let's get before we get there. What happens first? Okay, so. The scene opens up on just uh, close-ups of different tribal masks, and it, it focuses in on those for about 30 seconds. And then we get to the outside scene of uh, like a subway en- uh, exit, and we see Claudia. And she's taking verbal notes on her phone, and she's going to be doing um, research on masks for her um, some kind of I guess a college a thesis. Yeah, it's a dissertation of some sort. It's it's not a hundred percent clear. Yeah. Um, so we see her doing her notes for a while there, and while she's on this roadside, all of a sudden, um, Topher Grace comes into scene to save her from uh, possibly getting hit by a moving van. Um. So. You know, of course, they had this brief interaction of like, well, thanks, you know, whatever. He's like, well, you know, whatever. And, you know, life is what you make of it, whatever. Um, and we don't see her or we don't see Topher Grace's character, Mark, for a minute uh, until Claudia is buying or she's entering the uh, the art museum. And uh, Mark is already at the t- ticket booth. And he's buying a ticket for himself, but he looks back and he's like, well, that's going to be two and buys a ticket for Claudia, who still at this point is taking notes on her phone. And she's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I you know I'm good. And he's like, no, it's too late. You know, he makes a joke of it. He's like, uh, if you don't take the ticket, then you'd just be stealing or whatever. Uh, so it was it was kind of a, like a, a fun hint and interaction between the two of them. You can tell he's totally hitting on her now at this point. Yeah, it just again, Topher Grace has like he has this um ability to um be awkward but also charismatic at the same time. And that's why I say it's very gold bloom-esque. Cause he's like he's like awkward being like, Nope, nope, the that's already been paid for. You gotta take it. Uh and then he's like, Oh, you know, you'd be stealing. He's like, You he's like, You're not a thief, are you? <laughs> like he just turns it back on her. And it's like he's just, you know, he's really charming. And and what he says earlier when he crosses the street, he says to her, a day is what you make of it, right? I made sure to note that because, I, you know, this episode just keeps like telling you everything the entire time. Uh, but yeah, like with those first couple bits and she's kind of like, you know, on her heels a little bit because first, you know, she thinks she almost got hit by a truck um, and her life could have been over. And now this guy is like already, you know, buying her a ticket. And then, you know, it's just it's. It is it is the the uh, the breadcrumbs of like the perfect like romantic comedy. Yeah, d- definitely, and I I think that um, do- Topher Grace's character, uh, Mark, is kind of aloof in some sense, but at the same point, um, he, he keeps it like kind of child esque, where he's like, oh, you know what, I'll pay for her, whatever, and then he walks away like. 
he doesn't even wait for it's like this is a, a never mind situation to him I, I i've i've experienced this with like just random customers like in front of me like i got his i got his uh coffee and it's like wow like you obviously weren't looking for a date because you just paid and went like yeah that is the kind of stuff that it's like that is so it, it makes you appreciate uh humanity a little bit more and it's like you kind of got that from the scene not only did he just save her life possibly but he just paid for a ticket like gravy <laughs> yeah and then so it, she goes off to uh like look at the masks talking to her phone um and as she's trying to like suss out what she wants to do he uh pops around the corner and is like oh you like what are you working on a book or whatever like something to that effect like he's just trying to he talks to her she's like taking it back for a second but then um he starts like talking to her about like different things and there there's one shot here that um there is a it's the two of them facing each other. However, um, there's a reflection where you see the both, both of them facing each other too. And I know that's very purposeful of having like two sets of them in the same frame talking. Cause it's just, you know, when we get to what's going on, it's a very visual metaphor for like what's about to happen. And I thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, there there are some excellent shots, and again, you know, we've been kind of gloating over this for this entire season. Uh, the cinematography in this season is amazing, um, and I think this kind of coincides with everything that we've been saying throughout these episodes. Um, the uh, the the one thing that I, I I noticed that was very purposeful is that um, when he was talking about the book, we could see the 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 uh title of the book and uh what was the title of that book there oh i didn't write it down it was like something with imbeciles or something i think it was kind of supposed to be a take on a confederacy of dunces i think i can't remember yeah uh, lords of imbecile um so yeah it was to be imbecile and i think that kind of like we'll talk about a little bit further into this um so yeah, he starts after that moment um, where he's 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 gloating about the book that he's talking like like he's or he's been reading rather. Um, he starts quoting um, different uh, authors, and uh, there was one that uh, got the Nobel Prize, and he did a quote from the Nobel Prize. Um, uh, that she, yeah, yeah, the, the acceptance. And uh, it was like one of her favorite quotes of all time. I don't have that, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Um, it was but, something like, like the, still... the true, true something. And I, yeah, it was. I would have messed it up trying to say it again. But it yeah, was her I, quote. I tried. I was going to take that note, and uh, I'm. I was going to butcher it, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, pretty much, what you need to uh, gain from this is that he is trying to really stroke the ego that he already knows is there. And that's, I know that's like kind of giving their hand a little bit. He, he knows her a little bit more well than she has already known him for. Um, so we gain that knowledge a little bit more for every little segment of this episode. Um, he says to her though, and this is one quote I like, he says, uh, the, uh, you're like the day one old, but 
a thousand years old at the same time. It's like that's like that that's kind of like a really cool quote because the childlike mind is uh really interesting and people that I, I meet for the first time. But you also want somebody who's very intelligent and articulate and knowledgeable. So it's like you kind of look for fo- both facets, at least I do. And I, I really like that he found that in her, especially, you know, being in a museum, obviously. Or that's what he has said to her. Like, there's a lot of like, she is constantly, well, for now, like at first she is like, you know, wowed by the thing. Like, it's like these, it's coincidences. Like, how is this happening? How is this happening? And look at her face. It's like, there's this, like this smile that's growing. Like she's like, you know. Like, this is not the way I expected this day to go, right? And so, but they have real chemistry as, like, the 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 actors in this, these scenes. It's like, you know, it, it, this wouldn't work if the performers weren't, you know, if they didn't have a vibe together. And they do. Like, it's like you really you really feel there's a connection forming. Yeah, I, 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 I truly believe that as well. Um, and it's like, it's happened before. Um, so, (laughs) so Claudia says like, you know, like, that's amazing that you say that because, um, my, uh, dissertation is on reincarnation. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting enough. And you can see this look in Mark's eyes that is kind of aloof, but not so much. It's like this little glimmer of like, Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, this is working. Like my uh my game is still on. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, cool, man. Like you got you got this. And then um so they go to another room with more masks. I just need to I need to put that out there. Almost every room that they are in has masks. Now I've been to a lot of museums before, and I understand that there are a lot of exhibits with masks. This one needs to focus a little bit more on the masks, and I think that's a tell. Um, so um, we we get a little bit more. Um, well, and that's talk whenever, about, yeah, that's when he's like, "Oh, well, let me introduce you to a friend of mine." He's like, "This one's Bob Johnson," and he he points out the different masks. Right, that's when we get to that point. Um, I think it's where you're going with this. I think it's where we're at in the story where he's just trying to yeah. make her laugh and he's like calling all the masks different names, which was the lame joke I tried at the beginning of the episode. And and it fell about as flat as um as the joke was probably supposed to, as we'll find out later. Yeah, so he he goes <laughs> through the names of the the different masks and then like, oh, this is this and this is this, and then all of a sudden he put he kind of like gently pushes her to the side and grabs a water bottle out of nowhere like like spidey sense ah, ah. spidey sense <laughs> so and she's amazed obviously it's like okay what what was that like he's like whatever and you see our intro we see uh jordan peele come into scene and do his intro and it's like there's obviously a lot going on in Claudia's head right now because not only is she supposed to be taking notes for her dissertation, but she's like, I just met this amazing guy who knows so much about my my personality and what I want to hear. And bam, like here's here's the intro. It's like it's it, it kind of makes you frustrated a little bit because I, I think that you you want to follow along with the story that much more without a break. 
And I'll just say this about the CBS All Access. I hate the commercial breaks. Hate it. <laughs> so, um, so wait, um, are you talking in terms of the format of the show, how they do the commercial break? Or are you saying like, uh, do you, um, there, there's not like an ad version of this, is there? I have it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I upgraded and paid the extra, I don't know, $7,000 for the premium where there's no commercials. Um, so I, but I do know, I do know when they do the act breaks or whatever, cause you can see it. Um, so well, to, to say back to back up a second though, before he nudges her out of the way, you hear his wristwatch beep and then he just moves her to the side and then he catches the water bottle. Um, second time through watching this, I paid attention to the watch a lot more and you know, it was beeping. And the first time around, I didn't even hear it. And you know, he caught the water bottle. They, um, go on with things. Peel does his intro. And yeah, that's when we get to, um, the next bit here with, they're talking about like, you know, he mentions that, you know, like this museum's great, but not the one in New York. Like he misses that one. And then she's like, that was my favorite one. And, um, they start talking about different things. And she mentions, um, like, uh, what was it? Uh, an exhibit with like dirt and some worm or something in it. And he stops. He's like, how do you still surprise me? And she's like, what? He's like, Oh, you know, like he plays it off. And that's like the first like true moment we get with him in this episode. Yeah. I, I love that sequence because, um, I think that is almost genuine. Um, and I think we'll kind of get into that still, but it's, it's like, it's still, it, it seems more, uh, thought provoking out of Mark for a second there because it just seems like he's almost scripted in a sense because you could as you see um mark's um mannerism uh his eyes he just kind of seems like he's still thinking one step ahead and i felt that this uh, like in the exact instant that i was watching it for the first time as well I don't know if you felt that way, but that's kind of how I felt. Well, yeah, it just there. It starts. Um, how do how do I describe it? It's like um, it, it's one of those. It's almost feels like a fourth wall break where you start watching the episode. You get like this nice little cute thing going on, but then he's the one that starts kind of like tearing at the seams a little bit, letting you know there's more going on just by his statements and his mannerisms. And it almost feels like what they what they call in sports ball an unforced error. Um, but you you get like this sense that it's like something here is not what it seems. Obviously, we're watching the Twilight Zone, so we know that's that's supposed to be the gist of it, right? But if it wasn't for him, you know, awkwardly stepping in on himself in a lot of ways, you wouldn't even know. And that's when it starts getting like um dis like not disconcerting, but you know something's up. Yeah, and uh, at this point, apparently they still don't know each other's names. So, um, so Claudia wants to know about Mark's name. So he says, "Oh, you know, it's Mark, but with a C." Claudia, of course, you know, says, "Oh, oh, I had this crush on this guy when I was real young, uh, and uh, I th thought it was real sexy that it was Mark with a C." He's like, "Oh, whatever," plays it aloof, like. You know, like who I don't I don't understand why anybody would think that was sexy, but whatever. But <laughs> it's like Mark's like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, and uh so she uh 
he asks her next um, if she wants some gum. And he's like, well, why? Do I need some? And at the exact instant that she says that, uh, a guy who's passing by drops his gum on the ground. And he picks it up. And he's like, no? Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a funny moment. But again, it, it's more more starting to be shown that like she knows, she's starting to suspect something's up. You know, there's not, it's one thing to be like, oh, this random person. And you said things that like, I'm also into too, but you've not caught a water bottle and gum, like, you know, or you picked up gum, like suddenly, like either, you know, either something else is going on or your superpower is that you can get uh, movie theater style refreshments at any time. That, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I would love to get gum without going back to the refreshment area. Um, what's up, Mark? Um, so, (laughs) so, uh, so next we see Mark, uh, talk to Claudia about, uh, the canoe story that they both, uh, really dug, uh, about the New York exhibit. Um, so she, he says that he always wanted to climb into the canoe that was at the, the New York exhibit. And she's like, wow, that was like something I really wanted to do as well when I was younger. He's like, well, why not right now? He's like, well, well, we can't do that, of course. And Mark points over at the guard. He's like, I bet you a thousand dollars out of my own pocket right now that she will never look over at us, that guard. And Claudia's like, obviously in disbelief, like that's not going to happen. He's like, whatever, and just climbs in the canoe and starts playing around. And he, of course, has to. Uh, reinforce the idea it's like it's not a real rep it's 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 a replica it's not the actual commute <laughs> yeah it's a funny bit <laughs> like she's like i know that but you still yeah. shouldn't get in there and he, and he says to he's like get in the canoe you only live um you only live however many times like he's like poking at her because of the reincarnation thing and you know and then she gets in the canoe and again the music's in place they're like hunkered down in the canoe it's like you know it, it's it's a perfect day you know, honestly, it seems like so childlike and it's a real fun scene because I would have wanted to do that as a kid as well. Like going to the Natural History Museum or going to like the art museum, you see things even to this day when I go to museums, I'm like, I bet you if I jump in this, no one's going to say a damn thing. <laughs> like, and if they do, it was well worth it anyway. Like. I, I love that this scene to me, it just seems so innocent. And I, I, I think it, it's exactly what Claudia would want because you see the smirk on her face. It's like, this guy is daring. He is uh, charismatic and he obviously knows his history as well. It's like, it's the perfect guy. It's like, Oh, okay, Claudia, you do you. So, I, I really, I really love these scenes. Um, but getting to the next scene here, um, <laughs> I, 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 he said, say, "Yeah, I just want to point out uh, this one's a hard one to talk about because it's all dialogue driven from point to point to point." Uh, but they get out of the canoe um, and they go on to the next bit. It's important to note that he leaves his book there, like that prop served its purpose, and it's now on the canoe uh, forever to be forgotten. I think that's important to point out. And I believe from the one still I saw it that it was also Claudia's phone 
and her purse. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that is definitely important for uh, the next scenes that we have here. So um, in the next part of the exhibit here, um, Mark says to her that she ha- he has met her before, but they have never met. She has never met him. Like, basically, the idea is that there is something that he hasn't told her before about their meetings and isn't she'll never understand. Um, it's kind of a it's a hard thing to explain without giving the ghost here. Well, yeah. And I should also say right before that, though, um, they're walking up to the, the the big piece of art we'll talk about in a second. And he was like, well, you know, it's like, hey, uh, you want to get naked? That uh, camera's not working right there. And she kind of smacks him because earlier she accused him of having a secret. And this is where we get to the point where he's like, OK, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you everything. Like, you know, I've met you. You've never met me. And um, so as you know, so then uh, also he, um, you know, there's one point where like, you know, she he says to her like, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to kick your ass about something. I forget the context. And he laughs it off. And then they start talking further. Um, but then this is whenever um, the, the the episode starts tilting more into, you know, well, this is cute too. This is not right. And he starts um, over explaining. I mean, as well, he should. He deserves, he, she is owed an explanation. But then he kind of overplays it I think because he doles out um information too quickly because it almost feels like it's like to him he's seen this movie how many times and he wants to get to the scene that you know that he wants to get to so he drops a lot of information um and it's and that's at that point where he says to her uh like um like that he's in a time loop that's the big that's the big reveal here. Unless there's an emotional beat in there you want to talk about, Terry. That that's where we get to is that he has told her every day he goes to bed, he wakes up the same day. If he dies, it's the same day. Um and this is then so this is how he's met her previously. Yeah, it's um basically he was saying that uh uh he's been infatuated with her and he's been trying to discover the best way to understand her in a way that isn't creepy, I guess. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's like, so it's, it's a a really cool scene here um, where it's panning around them. It's circling around them. And he's like, guy sneezes over here. Cloud comes in front of the sun. Um, you hear this person say this, like there's this guy who walks in a scene. So he asks him about his son and how his health is and that, and it's like this flood of information on Claudia. And it's like, hell, whoa, 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 what the hell is going on right now? So she's obviously trying to process all the information, uh, about a guy who knows a little much about her to too much. And she just wanted to know what the trick was. Like it was still kind of like innocent and kind of childlike in this crush that she's kind of developed at this moment. But as soon as Mark takes this step, it, it, it creeps her out. She is freaked out at this point. 
Yeah, and before we get to that sequence, which I want to talk about a little bit more in a second, they're they're looking at this piece of art that is this um it's a uh, raven on top of a um a clam clamshell with some people in it and then Mark's like, "You know, this is my favorite piece of art. Just look at the the dominance and assertion of the bird with those people." And then she's like, "You're reading this completely wrong. That's the raven saving people." And he's like, "Oh, you know, he makes some kind of joke about it, but it's like that tells you a lot about both of them whenever he he reveals his personality a lot right there in that artwork. But then he goes on to do this bit of him calling out the day, which at this point, um, I the first time through this episode, I was digging this, but I'm just like, my God, how many times do we have, do we have time loop stories, right? Uh, th- this is almost parallel to uh, the one spot in Groundhog Day whenever he calls out the entire town. Because he's been there every single day. Phil has been there. It's Groundhog Day. He knows the whole town and knows the timing of everything. And Ned Ryerson, he know, you know, he knows, uh, you know, the the insurance salesman's going to come harass him. He knows about the the old homeless guy that's not going to make it through the day. Like, you know, like that's that's the sequence. But it's that was played for like comedy and awe. This is played for sheer terror, like panic. Um. So yeah, it's it's very effective. Yeah, and I, you know, at this point now, understanding that it is the time loop, that was my initial thought. Uh, And I kind of wanted to see where the rest of this uh, unfolded because, you know, Bill Murray in uh, Groundhog's Day wasn't uh, a scumbag or anything like that. He was he was truly honest about his intentions throughout his progression as a uh, as a character well he started off as an it's, asshole phil was an asshole right? yeah and he even tried doing, he even tried manufacturing the perfect date with him and um uh, uh what's her name uh the actress i'm sorry it's it's failing me now and then whenever he realized that if he's trying to force something without actually you know meaning it he never progressed so he was yeah but he did learn he learned and, and actually grew through his time there you're right and unfortunately i think we're looking at the opposing side of that <laughs> same idea on this episode yeah um, so yeah you know like we get uh how claudia is is getting freaked out about this and she tells him like this isn't really how you would normally approach somebody like this isn't like normal procedure in getting a date here. And, uh, you know, he has another alarm that goes off and, uh, what was it? Well, the one was, she's talking oh. to him. He's like, Oh, there's a helicopter. It's going to be real loud right now. And then he's like, continue. Like that was the alarm. That's when they get to the part of the clock or the wristwatch where he's like, yeah, he goes, I programmed this thing. It has like 50 different alarms. He's like, it's my cheat sheet. Um, but I know what's going to happen. So I don't have to keep it in my head. Yeah, and and that was actually the first time I noticed the alarm. So even on the second watch, I was like, "What is going on here?" Ah, now now like it, it's time sequences that he wants to make sure that he's ahead of the game that much more. And uh, and he, as this scenario is being explained to Claudia, it, it has like some backstory that kind of unfolds it's a it's a really cool sequence that it's kind of like looking into the past of different scenarios that have played out for mark and um 
when he's trying to save Claudia from the truck, sometimes he'll save her. Sometimes it's too soon. Sometimes he actually just pushes her right into the truck and kills her. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the one thing I'd like to point out is that if you watch this sequence, you'll notice that it is a different book each time. In a different outfit. In a different, he he tries multiples of like glasses, no glasses, knit cap, different types of shirts. Like he is, you know, he's making note of every possible thing that could be a positive or negative. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like in baseball, you keep uh, keep calculations of each asterisk or you know what what number what count you know. Yeah, this may affect the the overall game. It's it's standard for like sports in general, honestly. So uh, good on him. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess, but I mean, also at the same time, they talk, like they showed like a couple other bits later, like with him doing the mask naming and how like he's like this guy's name is Bob Bobson or whatever, and like she just kind of looked at him like he was a weirdo, and so then you just see like him trying multiple different things to like was finally something worked as a joke. He never forgot it. And would use that to get onto the next steps of what he believed to be uh, this, like this perfect date. You know, it's like, I I can't blame him too much for the type of sequences that might've played out because again, seeing um, groundhog say it's like when, when Bill Murray becomes a little bit more humble to the situation, he falls in love that much more because of the information he's gaining from, from the, the female character. Yeah, I can't and, remember uh, her name uh, either. I'm Andy sorry. McDowell was the actor. Andy McDowell was the actress. I, um, yeah, I just remembered that now. I forget her name in the movie though. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, I guess at this point I was like holding it too much up to Groundhog's day. And I was like, Oh, that's super cute. And I, I don't <laughs> think that there was a lot of times that, uh, guys, or possibly girls would be outside of that realm of possibility. It's like you see people's normal activity and you're like, Oh, how do I impress them? And then you kind of figure them out a little bit more. And you want to go on a date with them. You at least want to talk to them. It's like, I need to figure out them and maybe even get to a creepy point. I don't know. <laughs> it's well, like, so th- th- you're right. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the trope, right? Of like, Oh, it's sweet. This guy's done this. Right. Um, and, and from us, like, so here's here's one of the things about this episode that on the second view through, I really, really appreciate is that as much as Mark is in the forefront and is one half of the story, we we first are with, with her, with Claudia, and we're pretty much, we're with her as a character because this is the first time we're having this day as well, right? So um, anytime that we see a story involving a time loop, it's always from the the, the main person's perspective, never the person that is dealing with the person that came up saying, Hey, I'm in a time loop. Like you never really see that because then the the story would only be like, well, that was a weird day as opposed to the person running it over and over again. Right. So with this, uh, like when she learns about him talking about all this, she's like, yeah, you say this is practice, but what is this practice for? It's for you to lie and to manipulate me. And he, immediately disagrees with that perspective. She's not wrong though. And I think that takes the piss out of the trope of, Oh, he's trying to get to know her. The, 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 um, 
the table's been tilted this entire time though. So it isn't fair because she doesn't know that he's been doing this. Like it's, it's like, Oh, it's almost without her permission. It is without her permission. Yeah. Well, most definitely. And, um, and the, the note that you had made earlier, uh, about him leaving his book in the canoe, I think that is somewhat of a telling sign because he goes a little bit more free willed in his approach throughout the rest of this episode. Like it, it seems like he was scripted earlier, but when he did not have his book, now he's kind of ad libbing it. Well, you said earlier about like, um, like a sports thing about like, you know, practice or whatever. It's like, this almost feels like to me where you've played a video game level over and over again. And you know, the first half and it's annoying now because you're like, I got to do all this right. Cause I got to be ready for the second half. So you still, you still pay attention enough to get through, but you're, you're, you know, like you're not as invested in the first half because you've done it so many times that until you get to something new, all, all you're worried about is not screwing up enough to where you have to start over again. You are right. I mean, it's completely true about gaming. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've played Metal Gear Solid. And it's like, I know all these scenes so well. And then it's like, you get to that one scene, you're like, I got this. No problem. I don't need any notes. <laughs> and then you get your ass stomped by uh, Liquid Snake. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently playing through The Last of Us Part 2 definitely taught me uh, that um, don't just improvise. <laughs> because <laughs> things will go horrible. But yeah, like, so it's almost like in a way that leaving the book there was almost like having like, like leaving the save point or leaving the strategy guide. Yeah. yeah. The Nintendo power uh, fun guide. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, so, um, so then the thing is that we find out this time around that um, he, or he calls he calls them tries the, this try that he, his, his strategy was to be completely honest about everything. So this is not something that he's ever been like, he's never given up the ghost in terms of like, I'm in a time loop. This is what's going on. Um, but this was his strategy this time. And Claudia is giving a, like an incredible amount of pushback as well. She should uh, again, cause like, you know, she's learning all of this stuff about this guy who has, you know, day, day after day after day has like gotten to know intimate details about her pretty much again without her without her permissive knowledge because she doesn't you know obviously it's her first time going through today um and then also finding out that from the first time they meet it's just been him pushing like a rube goldberg device that he's been moving along to get to a desired outcome and it's as much as he wants to explain to her that he's been in love with her for a thousand days or a million days, whatever. Like there is no real timestamp on how many times he has tried to get this right. Mm -hmm. She doesn't care. Like she wants to make sure that he understands, like you can't make this, like you can't fudge this. This isn't something that you can like work to your angle to make me say the, the person on the first try, which what is it is honestly, I love you. Like you can't force the I love you at the first meeting because that's what it is for her. You may have the consciousness to say, yeah, I've done this a million times, but this is the first meeting. 
every single time that you you get to meet me. And she adheres to this idea wholeheartedly. No, I'm uncomfortable. No, this is not welcome. No, we can't feel this way about each other. It's not a mutual feeling. Yeah, and, and the entire time, Topher Grace's character of Mark, his his body posture starts changing, his demeanor, like he's still jokey, but it it's barbed, like it's you know he's you know he's getting off script, he's getting off book, um, you know, no pun intended, I guess a pun intended. Uh, but then, you know, there's a point where he even says to her, like, he's like, he takes the glasses off, by the way, sets them down. Um, cause it's like, you know, he, uh, he realizes that he doesn't need them cause he doesn't actually wear glasses. And he's like, there's no romantic moment you can't ruin. And it's like, that's like, he starts putting it back on her about why this isn't working because he, you know, says that I could be the perfect guy. I can do all this stuff and you don't, and, and he keeps throwing back at her. You don't appreciate how much work I've put into this. And then she's like, basically just because like you, you don't deserve validation for this because you did this again without my knowledge and permission. So why should I appreciate this work that went into manipulating me? And he, he starts really showing his, uh, his, his true colors at this point. And it gets, it gets uh very dark. And I think that there is somewhat of a, uh, another message that is going on here. And I think this line that is said from Mark really uh, upholds what that message is. You're lucky. I'm nice. Yeah. I by no means should any woman feel like she's owed a man something when she goes anywhere with them. By no means should a woman feel that something is accepted without her consent. And I think that's what this episode really tries to focus in on the most, because that line alone makes me feel more empowered about what women should feel every time they go somewhere, no matter what the uh, consent is, their clothing and that. Like, this is, it doesn't matter what Mark did to lead up to this point. Claudia still has power over her body. She still yeah. has Claudia. She still had Claudia has still power over the moment. Well, even by saying you're lucky, I'm nice. That implies that like, um, you know, if this, if this was, you know, if I wasn't nice, uh, you'd still get what you deserve, but you know, you should be thankful that I'm not that guy. That implies that there's a level of normalcy to somebody just taking what they want which is really screwed up. Right. And Fuck yeah. he, he, oh, um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you I know what, Terry, you know, in honor, in honor of the serious moment, I'm, I'm not going to take that F out. Like, I, you, you earned that F bomb. Congratulations. Uh, you, um, you've now turned this to a PG three. No, we, we were swearing before, but that's everybody mark your calendar. Terry, Terry got a well-deserved F bomb. So, um, you have agency over that F bomb. I'm not going to take it from you. Um, so, so does Claudia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just, there's that whole thing of like, it just, that, that pisses me off at this point, Mark with the C, which is real name is Mark with a K. Uh, Cause we also find out that he found out that he, 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 
at first when we heard the story about Mark with a C, he's like, I love that story. And then now he's like, yeah, I guess I throw the Mark with a C thing in there to hear that dumb story to get you going. Like you, he's already, you know, he's, he's telling her the truth about like, well, I know I had to do X, Y, Z to make you say this. It's like a dialogue tree and like a fallout game or whatever. Right. Like if I know if I say this at the right time, you know, we're going to go to the mountain and fight an Eagle or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Fallout, but why, there would not be a mountain and an Eagle in a fallout game, Skyrim, whatever. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's just, he's, he starts becoming the internet comment section of like dudes here. And it is, it is a sight to behold at how Topher Grace can still be the same character, but suddenly you're like, you know, this guy was kind of charming. N- no, now I just want, I want, I want every, I want something bad, bad to happen to him because he deserves it. Yeah. And then there was a moment where she runs away from him and Mark uh, gets her in his clasp and she she takes the 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 watch off his wrist. He's like, oh, no, whatever. Like, it's obviously super uh, comical because he knows that's not what this, the, the power is. And he's like, not my magical like, watch, oh, which is a funny power. line, but it's screwed up. Yeah. And but it's. It's something that she can obviously understand from the situation because she has no grasp on what this reality is. She's like, maybe this is it. I don't know. I'll take the watch because he already explained that he can set all these timers for these situations. Um, and, you know, like he's just going ad lib at, at this situation completely because he says to her, it's like, yeah, this has never happened. This is my first time. So. I'm just going to do what I want. And because you're not going to remember it tomorrow. And I will. Yeah. And he also um, says, so he's like, goes, he says, basically you aren't even real. He's like, you know, we're going to go through this. And then tomorrow I'm going to, I'm going to just try again, you know? And it's like, then again, you now learn truly what the value is of Claudia to Mark, which is no matter what, no matter what he's seeking, she's always going to be a possession and not a person. And it, it that really, that really like irked me on the second watch of this because uh, I really was okay with Mark at the initial stages of the first watch, and on the second watch, I was like, "This son of a bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> Again, because as well, you should be bitch. because this is your second day. You know, it's your second time through, so you know things that she doesn't know. So, of course, you you would be correct to to not like anything he's doing, right? And I, I feel like the what the Twilight Zone has like presented to the audience. There's this uh this observer, you know, like the narrator is kind of the observer, but there is like this overall seeking uh vision of what the observer is. And then they see Mark and they're like, I'm going to let it happen because I want to see the progression. I want to see the person um, come out the other end. I want to see them um, kind of learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. And I I, I really love that about the Twilight Zone. Like that is one of the, the overarching things that really has made me gravitate towards the subject line and the show itself. And, uh, yeah, like Mark is a scumbag and I'm glad that, um, Claudia is now getting real. Like 
she is owning herself a little bit more right now because Mark it Mark says to her, like, what are you gonna do? And she's like, I'm gonna knock your ass into yesterday. Like, yeah. She she is not she's not protesting anymore. There's no like well at this point facade. he puts on a mask, which again, very on the point, but that's fine. And he grabs a, a sword. It's well, it's 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 a sword full of like, like uh, teeth or jagged edges. It is. It looks painful. And he was like, you know, I'm tired of being nice. I'm going to be bad for right now. I'm going I'm to start being bad. And she's like, you don't want to do this. He's like, you know what? I will feel bad about this. Probably fun hundred days or so. But you know, he's like, I've never done this before. So it turns into like, I'm going to kill you just to see what this is like. And yeah, I might feel bad for a bit. It's like, whoa, that that is also messed up. And then she, she, she really like is not going to play the victim even in this, uh, this time of probably like really like crazy distress because the guy is wielding a weapon now. Uh, and there's obviously no security guards around, no, no, uh, patrons like this, this moment is played to Mark's advantage. He knows this, he's done this before and he, he knows all the tricks of the trade. Claudia is still not accepting the moment. Claudia is, she's owning it. She knows that if this is, this is survival, I need to say something. I need to do something. I need to act now because this son of a bitch is not going to get up, get the best of me. And she punches him square in the face. Like he gives, he's like, I'll give you first hit. And of course, in that moment, punches him square in the in the mask <laughs> yeah no, he's like i'll give you a thousand dollars if you could flap just like straight like he can't even finish the sentence it gets just like smashed and it was like he takes the mask off and he's like he swears and he's like well that's never going to happen and she just just belts him again and that was amazing because like uh she just lays into him and then uh um and she's like you done <laughs> Like it was this moment of like, it was like, you know, uh, fight or flight and he cut off her flight. So he got her fight and he's on the ground bleeding because of it. Yeah. She wails him in the face with like four, like good straight face. hits. (laughs) India Jones would have been proud of those haymakers landed. It was crazy. It was awesome because I think that it, each hit was more empowering to her because she knew this this was one of those scenarios where it's like I own the moment and like by the time that the security's coming along she's like okay yeah pick his dumb ass up oh he's got something left to say and jacks him in the face one more time like yeah well because yeah. like at one point he was like you know um you know all the use or whatever like I you know I know what you're capable of and then she's like me's who what and then he he uh, turns around with the guards. He's like, you know, like basically, like I'm, you know, and this is this is also one of the darker things too that people need to ruminate on for what his character is saying is like, you know what, I'm gonna try again tomorrow. And the day after that, he's like, I'm never going to leave you alone. And then she, that's what she clocks him in the face again. And then she's like, we'll be right here waiting for you. Um, and that's that's what we get at the end of that day. Uh, where Claudia obviously was the victor and, and Mark was taken off to jail. Um, and so 
but that's not the end of the episode. The end of the episode is, and, and I, I can tell it in Terry, unless you want to tell it. I, I know you've been doing the, the heavy lifting in this episode. No, I knew it. You go, girl. Okay, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, you done? Uh, no. Um. So, yeah, we get the we get the the same day again. We get her on the edge of the street, and we see the the truck come along. Which, by the way, it was a Dingle Moving Company truck. Which we saw that, and um, you know, uh, it was a human face. Which that's a reference to Dingle, the, Mr. Dingle the Strong, uh, the original episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, the truck. It, it, it it's near her, but it doesn't like, like she starts to step, but then not really. So even, uh, so what she originally believes or what we believe at the beginning of the episode is that she almost walked in the path of this truck and got hit. Had it not been for Mark, what we actually witness is that that never really happened to begin with. It's just that we see Mark in the distance watching her. Um, and so, you know, that that was more of a fabricated exaggeration on his part to, to start the day. Uh, but he sees her, you know, not get hit and goes about her way. And he just kind of has a smile on his face and he doesn't go towards her. I also think that he knows that like, um, that, that day with her is never going to end the way that he wants it. And I don't think it's a matter of growth. I think it's just that he knows he's in a loop. He's going to find the thing that he thinks he wants and he's going to move on to somebody else. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, I think that what he probably looked at from initial stance of saving her from the truck hit, what he thought was a truck hit, um, was like a Florence Nightingale kind of thing. It's like he fell in love with her because he saved her life. Maybe this is it. Yeah. So I don't what what made the loop happen. I don't know. Yeah. I, so like it's almost like since she she said to him, I'll be here to kick your ass every day. Maybe he's like, that's probably right. And he's just going to move on. But then, so then we get Peel's, uh, you know, outro about this guy being stuck in like this cage, which that was also something talked about over and over again about like unlocking the cage and being in a cage. There's a lot of great looping dialogue in this episode that we've not done justice. And if you are still listening by now without having watched the episode, sorry, uh, we talked about it a lot, but, if you've seen it already, watch it again. Cause a lot of it snaps together real nicely. Um, but yeah, so we, like we get the thing is that Mark really hasn't learned a lesson. Uh, and now he's, tr- this is this, his punishment is having this day and never really getting anywhere with it. So he might think it's like, like, um, he might view it as advantageous, but he's not able to move on with his life. So he's now stuck in this perpetual hell where Claudia, for all intents and purposes, got through the day and, and better for it, you know? So that's what I'm taking from it. No, and and I, I think there is a lot of messages here, and I think that I've gained a lot from watching this episode a second time. So if you all have watched it a first time and kind of appreciated it or didn't really dig it, watch it a second time because this is definitely one that we'll stick with you a lot more on that second watch. Um, and you know, I, I, I really, I got to hold this one in high regards. Uh, the message is very clear to me. It is kind of a retelling of the, the, the movie groundhog's day in the sense, but there are some real dark parts of this storyline that really set it apart from the movie. 
And I'm glad that they had that big of a departure from them. Oh, yeah. Like I said, having the perspective basically be from the person experiencing the day for the first time is different. And I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot here I like. I mentioned Groundhog Day. Uh, other looping movies that I think do a good job of exasperating like the time loop is up. And I watched I watched this for the first time last year. Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. That's actually a really fun movie dealing with the time loop. And then the sequel, Happy Death Day to You, is actually a lot of fun as well. It goes places you don't expect. Um, there's the Hulu original that just came out like a month or so ago called uh, uh, Palm Springs that has Andy Samberg in it. That's a great film that deals with the time loop that also has some elements of this in here in regards to um, how do you deal with relationships when one person may have been in a loop like before the other person came along. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but it's a really fun movie. See, I love time travel films. Uh, obviously back to the future is amazing. Um, the original, the time machine. If you ever get a chance to watch, uh, the guy Pierce time machine, uh, remake, that one deals in a time loop scenario that is amazing because, uh, can't really change what the outcome is going to be. And, uh, I love that film. Um, I think it was a really good remake. Okay. And another one I'll recommend too, it's a Spanish film called uh, time crimes that deals with the loop that is equal parts funny and, and terrifying. Um, and it deals with the time loop, but like, it's just, I, time loops are interesting to me. And this one, I just like that we were outside of it in a lot of ways, my only quip, my, okay. My first quibble with this episode, when I watched it the first time through was, uh, it, it, it ended real quickly, but then once I ruminated on watch the second time, realizing that's like, it was her story that was, that needed to, to end, not his, it felt a lot better the second time through. Uh, my only quibble was that I almost kind of wish that we hadn't seen his other attempts because then it would still leave us as much uncertain as she was to like, how many times has he done this? You know, I almost feel like we should have been more on her side the entire time as a viewer, not like emotionally cause we were, but like she never saw the other attempts either. I almost kind of wish that that had not been revealed to us. No, I, I get that. And I, I, I kind of, I mean, they were fun. Kinda, they were fun bits, but it, yeah, definitely. I'm kind of scared for all the other segments here for Mark. Like if this was a continuance of the Mark character in the twilight zone, it's like, I'm scared for every woman. I'm scared for every man that may be, uh, connected to Mark. It's like, this is, this is a scary character because he's not going to stop until he gets what is actually owed to him. Quote unquote. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot here. It's, it's one of those ones that kind of, kind of resonates, right? Like that. And that's another sign of a good twilight zone episode that it leaves you like, like you, you know me, I normally get wrapped on the, uh, up at a lot of the what ifs like, well, why didn't they, they explain this or what would happen with this? This is one of those ones where having those what ifs like make this like geometrically more um, terrifying, like in the sense of like you just mentioned, where's he going to go next? Is someone else, are they going to be in, in less of a position to, to handle themselves? You know, is, is, is this person inadvertently going to be brought into his own personal hell and they don't know that they're going to be suffering 
day after day after day. Yeah, the, without the uh, continual lineage, lineage, like we don't know what's going to really transpire here. And it's like that's actually a really scary episode when you look at it in the end, especially when we look what happened to Claudia. It's like, holy crap, this could be the next person. Yeah. Like Mark is a Mark is an animal. Yeah, but linear rather. <laughs> But yeah, just uh, before we get to uh, the twist, I don't really have any other like notes of proper. I just want to, I just wanted to, again, uh, just, you know, extol Topher Grace. Just, just, he is amazing through and through with this. Like, like, again, you mentioned how the beginning you liked him and then like at the end you, you despised him. And then the second time through, you just gritted your teeth watching him manipulate the entire time, but he still has a charm to him and a line delivery and just a way that he's able to toss off his sides that I am jealous of, frankly, uh, and credit to, uh, the actress, uh, that was, uh, what Kylie, uh, what's her name? Uh, Bunbury Bunbury Bunbury. Yeah. Bunbury. Yeah. Uh, amazing. And this too, like at first, like you, you want to fall in love with her too. Just the way she's smiling, like the grin, like she, is, she is just a, like, you know, she's adorable. And then she sells the panic and the fear. And then the, you know, the assertion, like great job from both of these, but both these actors. Yeah. I, I can't wait to explore what uh, Kylie Bunbury has done otherwise, because I want to see that same uh, like veracity in what she has portrayed on, uh, you know, different adorations of characters. I, I mean, like I, in pitch, I, I, you know, that's a cutthroat industry. You know, being in a major league baseball, being in uh, uh, sports in general, like you got to be, for all puns and tents, like balls to the wall. You got to go crazy. You got to do your thing. Um, so I really look forward to watching that. I'm sad that it's uh, only it was only a ten episode yeah. series, but uh, and then to feed back into Topher Grace, what we saw at Predators. Yes we saw in this episode like <laughs> yes we saw that that was that was him wholeheartedly so if you have seen predators or have not seen predators that is his well no actually watch predators anyways because that rodriguez iteration of what predators was was very fun not a great film but very fun to watch so yeah i like predators yeah um, but and yeah. Spider-Man. I mean, he played it. He good. He played a good Eddie Brock. He did. Yeah. No, but in Predators, it's like, you know, he's like, he's like the one that's like, I don't know if he's supposed to be here. And it's like, oh shit, he's supposed to be here. Like type of thing, you know? And he's just, he's just that good at being like that. Like, yeah, he's kind of awkward and nerdy. Like, like I, I will say this when I, I say gold blue mask, like, uh, the vibe I got watching this felt very much like Goldblum and the remake of the fly where you're on Seth Brundle's side to begin with. And then you're sympathetic to a point. I mean, he's still sympathetic for the whole movie. Don't get me wrong. But when he starts turning, there's that other side of him that comes out that as much as you want to see him get better, he is becoming a personal monster on top of becoming a, you know, a fly monster. And I could see that, that kind of, those vestiges there and uh, Topher Grace's kind of portrayal of this guy. And that's why I'm like, like give him something like that. Not that I need the fly remade, but 
I want to see like a Topher Grace vehicle where you give him another teeter totter to work like this one. And honestly, if he would, if the Mark aspect of Topher Grace's character would have been able to have been more sympathetic to Claudia, maybe would we would have seen a Gina Davis out of this. Maybe we would have seen somebody have been like, I understand your pain. Here we are. Like, but we didn't because Mark was a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. So yeah, good episode. Really good episode. Um, so, so yeah, do you have any other, any other notes or anything before we get to the twist? No, we can uh, gloat all we want, but yeah, let's get to the twist. It's going to be the first for the season. I want to give the twist a five in the sense that I was not expecting this episode to have, like, again, I keep talking about her, Claudia being the perspective in the time loop, did not see that coming um, in the sense of like, we're we experiencing it for the first time with her and, and Mark isn't. He, he's not the, the the pivotal character she is. So I did not see that coming. And also her standing up for herself and being the shadow of him. I, I wanted to see that happen, but that was not a guarantee. From the title alone, I'll give it a three because try, try kind of explains itself for everything that we saw that ex- unfolded in this episode. It was a five to me. Everything was like pivotal, like, Wow, this is really happening right now. This is this is a character a character that is unfolding, and it's like Malger. They're they're like they're going heel right now. It's like whoa, yeah. <laughs> this is this this was a crazy episode to me. Yeah, so it was, it was really good. So, all right, uh, that's going to do it for our discussion about try try. And let, I think it'd just be funny if we release this episode again next week. Um, and then like, you know, change a little bit. That'd be funny. Um, that'd just be funny to me. Nobody else though. Uh, yeah. Uh, you guys could find us on our Facebook page at strange highways. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, kicked around some ideas to me, post some more stuff. Uh, you know, that's, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, I promise. Uh, we also have an email address, the strange highways podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can write us there directly. You can fight me about, um, Topher Grace and Spider-Man three. It's fine. Please do. Uh, and also, yeah, wherever you find a podcast, rate and review us and also recommend us to people. If people like the twilight zone, if they like the new twilight zone, um, yeah, just the more the merrier. And again, uh, there's a Patreon that is up. It should be free. There should be no barrier for entry. It's patreon.com slash strange highways or strange highways podcast. You can find it. Find the swirly do like, like our, our logo, find the swirly. You'll find us, uh, the first 10 episodes of the Jordan Peele produced, uh, uh, twilight zone that we're now talking about the first season's available for free on Patreon. It's not part of the main feed, but if you want just real conversation, there's that too. Um, so yeah, uh, next week, uh, we are finishing the second season of this twilight zone with an episode called you might also like, uh, the description for this is also very sparse, which is, you know, I, I understand why stay at home housewife, Ms. Warren looks forward to acquiring an enigmatic device. That enigmatic device is an air fryer. That's what it is. I don't know what it is. Is it a, uh, 
Instapot? It's because an Instapot. Yes, yeah, it's an Instapot. <laughs> I want an Instapot. Yeah, so it's an Instapot. No, it's one of those. It's one of those. Um, it's like one of those Ron Popeil things where it's like, oh, you don't even need a don't even need a stovetop to bake an egg. You know, whatever. Like juice tiger. Juice tiger. <laughs> yes, it's a juice tiger. That's what it is. Freshly squeezed tiger. That's what we're gonna find out what this is about. So, yeah, and I'm, and I'm I have a feeling that episode. You know, we'll get to that, and then I think we'll just do like a quick hitter, like top three, bottom three. Like I, you know, I don't think we need to like go on too long about the season because it is ten episodes. But I like to do a little bit of recap um, and kind of like like you know see how we feel about everything. Um, so we'll we'll you know look forward to that. I'm giving Terry more homework, but I know he'd also want to do this too. Oh, I'm most definitely. I've been uh, kind of scouring my brain throughout these last few episodes of which ones I like the most. So come at me, bro. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a safe week. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'd say like, uh, don't trust Topher Grace, but I want to trust Topher Grace, but not that Topher Grace, but sometimes Topher Grace. I'm just, I'm conflicted about Topher Grace. Know your masks. I think this is my favorite work of ours. It really captures something. You know, the power, the dominance, where that bird is crushing the people beneath his feet. It's almost exactly the opposite of that. The raven's saving them, freeing them, coaxing them into the world. Huh. Well, you know what? I used to live in a clam, and in retrospect, the birds were super helpful, so... <laughs> Hmm, yeah, you might be honest on there. So stupid. <laughs>